So as we begin our relationship series today, um, I'm going to begin with a a sermon. I think Pastor Peter's going to do a similar one, um, not on the same passage, but similar theme, on the basically the, the root relationship we have, which is with Jesus Christ. And so as we're going to look at different relationships that we have in life, we want to begin by spending some time grounding ourselves in the foundational relationship we have with Jesus Christ. And so to do that, I thought it would be very helpful to look at Galatians 3. I'll start at verse 23 and read into chapter 4, verse 7. Hear the word of God. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was put in charge of us until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as heirs are underage, they are no different from slaves, although they own the whole estate. They are subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by their fathers. So also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spirits, spiritual forces of the world. But when the time, um, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but God's children. And since you are his children, he has also made you an heir. This is the word of the Lord. So I've titled this sermon Residual Relationships, and I'm considering that might end up being the title for this series. And I always check my titles to make sure, you know, they're not saying something that other people will pick up in a different way. So I googled residual relationships. If you're ever having trouble sleeping at night, Google residual relationships, and you'll get far more complicated information about statistics than you could ever possibly want. I don't know exactly what it said. I don't actually understand statistics. All I remember is all my friends who took psychology complaining about statistics because they were people people who wanted to have relationships and help people that way, but they had to take statistics because it was part of the course, and it's hardcore, strange math. Anyways, that's where residual relationships takes you if you Google it. So I guess you probably won't do that. The reason I'm calling it residual relationships is because everything, first of all, is about relationships. We've been talking about, for the last year, about loving God and loving others, about being missional and about neighboring, and all these things are really about understanding we have a relationship with God. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and that relationship shapes how we interact with people all around us. But what we're doing today is looking at the fact that our core relationship with Jesus Christ has a residue, it gives something off that shapes all those other relationships. And so everything is about relationships, but as those relationships take place, 
the core one, the foundational one in Jesus shapes all else. And always remembering this, I'm sure I've said this before, relationships are easy until other people get involved, right? Driving is fabulous unless there's other cars, right? They are traffic, you're not traffic, it's always somebody else who's traffic and is causing the problems, right? It is very easy to have a conversation, a difficult conversation with somebody in your mind where you get to say what you say and then you get to decide what they're gonna respond and then you get to say your next piece and then you decide what they're gonna say and you know, right, that is never how it happens when an actual person is there, even if it's somebody you've been married to for a really long time. I won't look in any particular direction at this point. Relationships are easy until other people get involved. That's why we need to keep doing this, because hanging around with other people, church, right, is often, it includes all those other people with their other styles and strengths and weaknesses and challenges and all that kind of fun stuff. And again, our relationship with Jesus, being a Jesus follower, being a church person, is meant to reshape all of our other relationships. All right? So if you call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, and you're still dealing with anger issues, you are called to deal with those anger issues. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, and you have serious impatience issues, you are called to look at those impatient issues. Okay, and so how we relate to others should grow the longer we follow Jesus Christ, right? A little later in this very book of Galatians that I read from, beginning of, or middle of chapter 5, comes the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, gentleness, and there's all the way up to nine of those, all right? Those are the things that should be growing in us as we relate one to another as followers of Jesus Christ. And so in this series, we're going to start looking at or continue looking at what do those things mean um, for each of us. And then in this relationship, the one with Jesus, and with all relationships, I'm going to start by saying we need to get beyond the rules, right? If I buy Ruthann flowers... If I were to buy Ruthann flowers, she's going to tell you that I never buy her flowers. So, note to self, Eric will buy flowers for Ruthann in 2022. Just made, a, just made a resolution. If I were to buy Ruthann flowers because we had an agreement, a covenant, or a set of rules for our marriage that said on Fridays, Eric will buy flowers, that's not a relationship. That's merely a rule. It is a relationship, but it's one bound by rules. Right? What Paul's actually talking about in this entire chapter and in most of this book is the fact that um, the people of Israel received the law from Moses, and that law, Paul's trying to say, it guided them, it gave them boundaries to help them get to this point, the point where Jesus came and said, I'm not going to get rid of those rules, but I'm going to show you how to really live them. All right? And so if you are working in relationships on things like anger issues or impatience issues or whatever else it is that you're working on, the answer, according to the Bible, is not try harder, right? The answer to an issue, an anger issue, for example, is not stop being angry, right? Try that sometimes. You probably have. It doesn't actually work just to say stop being angry. You might show the right outward signs for a while if you try harder. But the brilliance of the Bible, the brilliance of Jesus was that he came and said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And when he says that, what he's saying to us is, you need to implant truth deep inside your heart because it's what comes out of the mouth that makes all the difference in the world, not what you put into yourself, right? And so Jesus' way is first have a relationship with him where you know the depth of his love and compassion for you. And when you understand how you've been set free in Jesus Christ, 
that's going to reshape the way you interact with all kinds of other people. So don't try harder. Try to go deeper. Try to be more true. Try to get into that vulnerability of your relationship with Jesus. Know how much he loves you and allow that to affect how you love other people. All right? I think that's a basic piece. And then what I want to do for the rest of this message is talk to you about seven different relationship images that come in here because there's some amazing images in this passage which I think are worth getting into our hearts and our minds and our heads and having them kind of sit with us. So the first one is that we are children. We are children. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. We are children of God. And, and if you grew up in the church, you've probably heard that so many times that it's like, yep, I know, heard it, got it, move on. But let's pause a minute and think about this child issue. Because, again, in my experience, we don't actually talk about ourselves as though we're children. And if we do talk about ourselves as we're children of God, we talk about ourselves as if we are the black sheep of the family or we are rebellious children or we are distant children. But remember that story of the prodigal son where the father sees his rotten, good-for-nothing child who ended up eating pig slop at a distance and runs to meet him and doesn't let him apologize, instead says, we're going to have a party and celebrate that you're back. We are children on the level of a loving father looking at a child who probably has done all kinds of rotten things, but only seeing the one that they love. That's the kind of children that we are. Jesus loves to talk about, unless you become like a little child, you won't inherit the kingdom. You won't experience the fullness of what I have to offer, right? And yet our whole way of raising ourselves, of training our culture, is to sort of move people beyond childhood as fast as we possibly can and grow them up and mature them. So um, someone I now call a friend, the guy who teaches Bema, he told this story of watching his little girl when his girl was just a toddler. She's just learning to walk. And he was sitting watching her, reflecting on what does it mean to become childlike so that I can inherit the kingdom of heaven? And he watched his daughter, and she was learning to walk. You know that cool thing when kids are just learning to walk, they get up and then they toddle. That's probably why we call them toddlers, right? They, and then they fall down. He, she's walking on grass. She went down a little incline, an incline that probably most of us wouldn't notice if we're advanced walkers. But then she wanted to come back up again. And this little child, as he watched her, she got up, she took a couple steps, fell back down, and she giggled. And she got up again, and she tied, she took a step, and she fell down, she did this over and over and over again, maybe a hundred times, half the time giggling, half the time just getting back up again. And Marty said, when I saw her do that and saw that as she was messing up, as she was unsuccessful, she would giggle, he thought, that's what Jesus wants me to be and to do as a child of God. He wants me to try and try again and to recognize I'm going to mess up. I'm going to trip. I'm going to fail. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to be impatient. But God wants me to enjoy that journey of trying again and again and again, not feeling ashamed of the fact that I can't walk yet because I'm learning to walk. Not putting myself down because I can't run and jog and leap yet because I'm still learning to run and jog and leap. To be like a little child on our journey of faith is to be humble enough and honest enough to be able to laugh at the fact that we don't have it all together yet. 
And hate to break it to you, but neither does anyone else around you. We're on this journey, and if we can own our childishness, as Christ calls us to recognize our childishness, we might be able to go further along. We are children of God through faith. And then this image, baptized into. For all of you who were baptized into Christ. Now, when we baptize, yeah, of course, I didn't remember to put it up here. There's a bowl. You all know what it looks like. Sorry, camera guy, I moved. Um, And we take the baby, right? And in this large bowl, what we do is we dunk that baby under, hold her for three seconds, and then pull her up, right? No, of course we don't do that. You guys would be terrified if I did that. And I promise I won't do that. Bless no one ever comes for baptism again. But that image of going down into death and then being raised up with Christ, that's what this into Christ thing means. It's just that little preposition. It's a tiny little word, right? We think the important words are baptized in Christ. But that into means that we actually have died with Christ. So death has been removed from us, washed away, the sign of baptism. And we've been raised up, resurrected with Christ. So we are now in Christ, right? So it's not just that I believe things about Jesus, and because I read the Bible and it has some moral codes for me, I try to live out those things. And as a Christian, I try my hardest to live those things. And because I know them, I'm a little bit better than other people who don't know Jesus yet. No, it's this. Jesus says, I know you're struggling. I know you're a child of God. I know that you're just learning to walk in these ways. And so I'm going to take you into myself. I'm going to take you to the cross with me. I'm going to take you to death with me. And I'm going to raise you up again with me. And you're going to have a brand new life. That's our identity, right? We have been baptized into Christ. And so since Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, Guess where we're sitting as his body? We're sitting with him. We're already on that throne. That's the guarantee. You'll see I'm wearing my identity in Christ bracelet again, IDIC, from whenever I preached about that. Our main identity is who we are in Jesus Christ. It's not what we've done. It's not what we've accomplished, good or bad. It's who Jesus is and how he invites us into himself. That's what baptism is all about. It actually starts us on a brand new journey. Furthermore, in that baptism, we are now clothed with. You have clothed yourselves with Christ. You'll notice that when I sit up here, I'm usually wearing a jacket, something like this, right? I'm clothing myself to project to you that I am now in my official ministerial role where I conduct worship services, right? If you run into me during the rest of the week, you'll be surprised to know I'm probably in jeans and a hoodie, right? That's my other personality, Those things that we wear, whatever you're wearing now, whatever you wear, wherever you go, it says something about your identity, doesn't it? Right? If I want to show that I'm in charge, I wear power clothes. If I want to show how relaxed I am, I wear relaxed clothes. Right? If I'm hot, I wear cool clothes. Those kinds of things. We we show who we are by what we wear. And so after being baptized into Christ so that we are totally enmeshed and included with him, the next thing we do is we start putting on the things that reflect, I want to live out this identity that I have. I'm part of Jesus' family. I want to look like Jesus. So Jesus practiced amazing amounts of patience. I'm going to practice patience. Jesus did these other things. I'm going to internalize all the things that Jesus did. I'm going to clothe myself with his ways and his life and his truth in my life. Third image. The fourth image is that we are interconnected. 
Now, this is a huge verse. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither Canadian nor American. There's neither Asian nor North American, however you want to put those two words in there. There's no cultural separations when we're all one in Christ. There's neither slave nor free. That's actually an incredibly messy line in the Bible, by the way, because we, the church, historically have used this line to say, see, the Bible assumes that there's slavery, so it's okay for there to be slavery. Now, I'm guessing that most of us are beyond that. I just need to point that out, that that's part of what we've done with the Bible. And what this passage is really saying to us is there are no social standings when you're in Christ, right? When you walk into this community, it doesn't matter if you're the most powerful, whatever that means, person, or the weakest, whatever that means, person in this community. You're actually on the same standing in Christ because in Christ we become one. We become part of the same body. We become connected. And that's hard for us. Let's admit it. Right? We pay deference to somebody who we have a particular kind of human respect for more than we connect with somebody who we think is struggling a little bit more than we are. This is calling us again to be really aware that, that whoever you are, however you are, whatever's gone on in your life and whatever's gone on in somebody else's life makes no difference when Christ embraced you, embraces you in baptism and makes you part of himself. And then that third one, nor is there male and female. Now, that doesn't just make us all, what's that word for not having a gender, right? It doesn't make us all kind of neutral. We are still males and females, but in Christ, it doesn't matter whether you're male or female. That doesn't change your standing, your relationship. It means that when you see differences among us, whether they're social or cultural or racial or gender, none of those things reshape whether or not we belong to Christ. What shapes that is faith and his love for us and his sacrifice and the fact that he has embraced us. And so in this one verse, there's this monstrous challenge to recognize that whoever we are, whatever we think our standing is in, in community, that is irrelevant when we meet with people of Jesus because all of us are in Christ. All of us are equal in Christ. All of us are servants of Jesus Christ. All of us are followers when it comes to Jesus Christ. We are interconnected in that way. And then the fifth image is inheritors. So if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That might take a bit of unpacking. So Abraham's seed. So the, the big covenant of the Old Testament was the covenant with Abraham when he said, when God said to Abraham, you're going to have children like the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore, so lots. And that promise is going to come through your promised son, Isaac, and through Isaac, Jacob, and that whole long line that Ruthann sang on uh, Christmas Day, or whenever that was. Um, that whole line leads to Jesus. And that Jesus it no longer becomes about who's going to inherit because Jesus became the end of that line. He was the one they were all waiting for. So now it's no longer, oh boy, I wonder if I'm going to have a boy and if that boy is going to be on the line of Jesus because Jesus already came. Now it's become, if you believe in Jesus, who is that promised seed, that promised child, then you're actually a descendant of Abraham and you're going to receive everything that was promised to Abraham. You're now part of that group. And this is important because this whole idea of inheritance 
this whole idea of what we receive in God um, is kind of the heart of the life that we live here. Now, my sense is a lot of times, and particularly at funerals, we think of our inheritance as that which will come after this life. And I want to suggest to you that what the Bible teaches first and foremost is that your inheritance is the fact that you have the relationship with Christ now. Your inheritance is that you are in Christ now, not that you'll receive Christ later. Your inheritance is that God is saying, I am going to send you my spirit, that's point seven coming up, right? And I'm going to allow you and empower you and enable you to live out the kind of stuff that I've called you to. And so live with that sense of hope and trust and acceptance that I'm already part of this team. My identity is already in Christ and I have inherited all these things. Because when do you inherit? Do you inherit after you die? No, you inherit after someone else dies. And Christ died for us that we might receive the inheritance now. What Christ has given us is that which we can use now to make a difference in this world, to bring um, his kingdom into life in this world. And sixth one, we are purchased for freedom, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, I think if I notice correctly, the the version of the Bible that was on the screen was a little different than the version that I was reading, which is fine. It actually helps me point out something. Because in that version, there were more male pronouns and so on. Um, because the version that I'm reading tries to, whenever it makes sense, if it's talking about people, to use neutral pronouns. So that includes male and female, right? Right and fitting with Galatians 3.28, of course. There is no longer male or female in Christ. And in doing so, they didn't change sonship to childhoodship, right? And they did that on purpose. They left this one male. Why is that? Because in the passage, as Paul is talking, it would be the oldest male um, child who would inherit, right? And so if you're going to talk about inheritance, you've got to kind of keep it male, because at least in that culture, that doesn't mean it has to be in this culture, but in that culture, it was the oldest male who did the inheriting, Right, so this adoption of sonship means that somebody who was on the outside, who had no standing, the kid on the playground who always got picked last, that's the kind of feeling, right, gets brought into and adopted and made captain of the team. Right, that's the kind of image that's going on here. Adoption is it's, it's a sensitive topic. Anyone who's walked through living as an adopted person realizes that there's this tension of always wondering, as you grow older anyways, why was I put up for adoption? Uh, Nicky Gumbel tells a, a great line um, in his Alpha material. Nicky Gumbel says, a little boy was being bugged on the playground because he was adopted, and he turned to the people who were tormenting him and said, you know, your parents got stuck with you. Mine actually chose me. Not to make light of the challenges that go into those kinds of conversations, but recognize that what has happened to each and every one of us is that one, we can stand in solidarity with everyone who was adopted because in Christ we were adopted. We were chosen from the outside to be brought into the inside. We were picked to be as part of Christ's team in this world to make a difference. And he says, I want you to be in my family. I want you to be my child. You are in me through baptism. I'm going to clothe you. And as I clothe you, I'm going to empower you to live this stuff out in the world. That's what the child does. They take over the kingdom. They lead as they inherit 
and they make a difference using all the privileges that they receive. So that sounds like a pretty major task, and that's why Paul goes to this next and last image, the image of the guided heart. Because you are his sons, because we are all inheriting children of God, God sent the spirit of his son, right? Notice that connection again. Jesus is the son of God. So we celebrate at Christmas. The son of God comes into the world. Now we are also sons. We are children of God. And he sends his spirit into our hearts. So not only do we have this connection with Jesus, we have his spirit inside of us. He's trying to say, I have filled you so much with me and my stuff and myself that you're connecting with me. Own that. Hang on. Make that your identity. And it's that spirit who has us calling out Abba, Father. And the Bible regularly does not translate Abba. It sort of means Father, but it just helps us remember it means just a bit more than that, right? This isn't just your average, everyday, earthly father. This is your Abba, which for us is a word we tend to only use in this kind of a context, where this is Daddy, but this is also the king, right? This is that whole package of all things leadership and good and true and serving at the same time. And God has said to us, I'm putting my spirit right inside of you. I am residing on the inside of you. I'm going to change your heart so it's not try to be more like me. It's allow my spirit to guide you to be more like me. And I want to keep emphasizing that because if this Christianity thing that we're doing becomes about us trying a little bit harder to be a little bit better people, we're not ahead of anybody. We're not ahead of anybody. But if we take the biblical message that God has planted his spirit inside of our hearts, and if we allow that spirit to start to reshape us from the inside, then what begins to overflow from us will be the kind of loving relationships that make all the difference in the world. And our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, with our family, with our neighbors, with our community, all those things will be transformed because our heart will be beating after God's own way. It's allowing and receiving that spirit deep into our hearts that changes the way we do everything. That's our journey together. Now, summary of all this, you are part of the family inside and out baptized and clothed. You can stop asking if you can sit at the table or play with the toys. When my brother and I were young and we'd go visit somebody else's house, one of the most exciting things was what kind of toys did they have in their toy box that we didn't have that we got to play with. I can actually visually picture certain toys that families had that we didn't have that were really cool and I really loved going there. But when you first got there, there's that moment because you've been taught by your parents you know, this is in your house, behave, those kinds of things, that you sort of look at the toy box and you move towards the toy box and maybe you touch it, but you need somebody to tell you, you know, Eric, it's okay. You're allowed to play. You're allowed to play. And Jesus has said to all of us, don't come to me with this sense of, you know, Jesus, I'm not deserving, so I'm not really sure if I'm supposed to be here. He goes, I already know you're not deserving, but I adopted you. I already know you're not deserving. That's why I died for you. I love you, and I've embraced you, and everything that I have to offer, all of my toys, are for you to play with and to enjoy as fully as you possibly can. Don't ask, please, sir, can I have some more? Don't ask, am I allowed to eat at the table? Don't ask, can I have a second helping? Know that God loves you so fully 
that whatever he has to offer in his spirit, he wants to pour out on you, on us collectively, as fully as he possibly can. He doesn't want to do this in small measures. He doesn't say, okay, you can play those three things because you're just adopted. He says, no, you are my child. Take and receive and use everything in this world that I can give you and use it to the fullest. People of God, I'm encouraging you as we begin this year looking at our relationship with Jesus, know the fullness first and foremost of his incredible love for you and all that he has in store for you. Let that sink in. Let that shape your heart. And when you know how deeply loved you are, allow that love to begin to pour out into all the other relationships that we talk about. That's who we are in Christ Jesus. You can stop asking if you're allowed to sit at the table or play with the toys. You are welcome. Come, because Jesus loves you. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for all the ways that you have shown not only that you are the Son of God, but that we are called to be children of God with you. Lord Jesus Christ, may we know the depth and the fullness and the power with which you have embraced us and brought us into the family. And so when you offer fruit, when you offer healing, when you offer restoration, we pray that you would help us to take and eat and fill ourselves with the fullness of what you are um, doing in our lives. Lord, may we embrace every gift you've given us, every ability you've given us, every talent you've given us, the money you've given us, the places you've given us, the relationships you've given us. All these, Lord, may we use to make a difference in this world for good. May we receive your love and may we show love to everyone we meet along the way, knowing that you have given us in such abundance that whatever we pour out to others will just keep on growing and multiplying in you. Lord, we pray for the faith to see this and the courage to live into it. Help us to pick up the toys you have given us and to play to our heart's content as your children. This we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.